0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Tuesday, February thirteenth, and I'm your host, Vincent Chen. Joining me via Skype for today's show is Senior Fool.com contributor Adam Levine Weinberg. Hey, Adam, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on the show. Always great to be here. You've been busy uh, on a few different segments for Industry Focus lately. Yeah, I think this is my fourth of 2018. Very nice, very nice. I'm glad that you're here with us. And, Fools, today we're going to start our discussion with news that broke earlier this month before turning our attention to the new tax plan and the implications it has for some of our favorite retailers. So, first up, we're going to spend a couple minutes talking about the major retail bankruptcy, the first one really of 2018, and that's for Bonton stores. So, they have over 250 store locations spread across 26 states. Bonton is one of the larger regional department store chains in the US. So the company filed for Chapter 11 protection on February 4th. Adam, when we actually covered department stores in their holiday results last month, you spoke briefly about Bonton and how this outcome seemed pretty much inevitable at that point. How did Bonton
1: end up in this position? So, from a high level perspective, Bantan's historical strength was being in these rural markets primarily, um, smaller towns where there wasn't a lot of competition and there weren't a lot of options for consumers to get uh, high quality branded department store goods. And so this was great until the internet came about. All of a sudden, after you had Amazon in particular moving into uh, the fashion market, now People can get the same kinds of goods that they had to go to Bonton for previously, and now they could get um, the same things at a lower price, um, or at least a more competitive price, um, from Amazon and from uh, the retail websites of companies like Macy's. So that's sort of the big picture um, of what has happened. And so Bonton is a lot smaller than uh, most of its competitors. It has about $2.5 billion of annual revenue. So that makes it about a tenth the size of Macy's, for example. Um, and it just hasn't been uh, profitable in many, many years at this point. And so a lot of people have talked about, uh, oh, it had to file for bankruptcy because it had too much debt. And it's true that it does have too much debt. It has a billion dollars uh, roughly of debt as of November. And for a company with two and a half billion dollars of sales, that's a pretty a pretty tough burden. That said... Um, the reason why the debt piled up was because it couldn't pay the bills in the first place and had to borrow year after year. So, the underlying cause of the bankruptcy is just that Bonton is not profitable. Um, they've been uh, putting together annual losses of about sixty million dollars in 2015 and 2016. 2017 hasn't been reported yet, but it was probably even worse. Um, comp sales declined about six percent for the full year, and. Because the primary issue here is unprofitability as opposed to high debt, it's hard to see how Chapter 11 can really fix things. Bonton has already taken a hatchet to its cost structure. Um, It's gonna close some more stores, some of which aren't profitable. Um, But given that the company's been losing so much money up until now, it's hard to see how even with less debt, it's going to be a sustainable company. Uh, It's got less than half um, of the online sales penetration of its larger rivals, and it's not that surprising. Bonton last year um, planned to invest about $30 million in capital spending. Macy's plan was for about $900 million in capital spending. So, Macy's has more money to invest in its stores, more money to invest in its e-commerce operations to try to keep up at least somewhat with Amazon. Bonton is running on the shoestring budget, and it's really hard to see how uh, a Chapter 11 of restructuring would do anything more than sort of string out the pain for another few years. Um, a lot of Bonton's creditors just want the company to liquidate. Um, the company's fighting back, and so we'll just have to see what happens. But uh, the chances for long-term survival definitely don't look good. Sure, thanks, Adam. I'll add that even for this most recent holiday shopping season, a pretty
0: strong one for retailers across the board. In that episode, that uh, from mid-January, where you and I talked about. The holiday results for a lot of department stores. Uh, The in November December, you know, revenue for Bonton was down about four percent year over year, while others were seeing pretty strong gains. And before this bankruptcy news, even you mentioned some store closures. The company had already announced plans to close over forty stores. And I'm on the same page as you in terms of the company's, uh, let's say, prospects. Even with a potential reorganization, uh, it's looking rather grim. So, with that in mind, I'll ask you this: Are there any competing department stores or retailers that you think might stand to benefit the most from these store closures? And you know what might fall out after the uh, with the bankruptcy uh, filing?
1: Yeah. So, I think that um, the biggest beneficiary is most likely to be Kohl's. Um, Kohl's just has the broadest retail footprint um, uh, among the department stores um, because it has. the smaller stores than uh, a chain like Macy's, for example. Uh, and it tends to have strip mall um, and standalone stores as opposed to being in malls. And so, Kohl's has a, a bigger presence in the smaller markets, where Bonton has a stronger presence as well. So, that definitely puts it in good position to win some of that business. I think Macy's will also get some, but there's a relatively limited overlap at this point in terms of malls where there is both a Macy's store and um, one of Bonton's retail chains. So there's definitely some um, upside there for Macy's, um, definitely a little more upside on the e-commerce side potentially for Macy's. But obviously in e-commerce, you're fighting with everybody. And so um, it's kind of a jump ball. And given the way things are going, you'd expect Amazon to come up with a, a big chunk of that revenue. So I would say that the, the most interesting thing that we're going to have to see about is whether any competitor tries to scoop up part or all of the company um, in a bankruptcy sale. Because you could imagine that there are certain, even if Bonton as a whole isn't profitable, um, you could plug in certain stores into a different company. uh, And those particular locations actually might be pretty good department stores still. So we'll just have to see if anybody uh, is willing to take that risk and try to integrate some of Bonton's stores into their own store portfolios. All
0: right, let's move on then to our main topic for today. So, Fools Adam originally approached me last month and he pitched the idea of covering the new tax plan and specifically the changes to the corporate tax rate. So, for the major retailers that we often discuss here on the show, the sector. Has been cited by many publications and analysts as a space that will benefit more than others from the new tax rate. So, Adam, since you pitched the idea uh, to me from the get-go, I'll let you take it away. Can you give our listeners a rundown um, of the some of the reforms that went into into effect last month, and also why there is an outsized impact
1: for retailers? Absolutely. So the big headline of the corporate tax reform that went into effect at the beginning of 2018 is that the statutory federal tax rate, so the base tax rate, was reduced from 35% previously to 21% going forward. Um, So that's a pretty significant decline there. Um, However, a lot of companies weren't actually paying a 35% effective tax rate. There's a whole host of tax credits that um, existed under the previous tax law, and some of those still exist. Companies that have a lot of international uh, international sales and earnings are able to kind of have been have been able previously to shelter that money by keeping it overseas, reinvesting it there. Um, that's why you've seen uh, companies like Apple keep so much cash abroad. And so some um, tech firms have had very low earnings, um, very low um, effective tax rates rather um, in the past. By contrast, retailers really haven't been able to take advantage of any of these uh, tax um, benefits under the old law. And so if you look at most um, retailers, they're, they're very um, heavily concentrated in the, the US um, for sales and especially for their earnings, and they don't have many tax breaks, and so they're paying effective tax rates when you include uh, state taxes as well of 37%, 38%. Um, those are pretty typical numbers there.
0: Yeah, and I'll jump so- in there with some examples too. So, you know, you combine the fact that retailers uh, m- most of their operations based in the U.S., uh, so they generate the bulk of their revenue here, and with that income being largely subject to the higher U.S. tax rates, and also they just don't get uh, access to as many of those tax credits and deductions that you mentioned, Adam. So, I uh, I have some specific examples that generally highlight kind of what we've described so far. So. These are the effective rates for some of the bigger retailers out there. So, starting with Walmart, they generate about 70% or so of their revenue in the US. Their effective tax rate for the trailing 12 month period came out to 31.8%. Its rival target. Um, they note in their 10K that virtually all of their revenue is generated within the United States. Its effective tax rate was 31%. And then for the department stores, Nordstrom, Macy's, and Kohl's are also all uh, predominantly U.S.-based businesses, and their effective tax rates all came out in the range of 36 to 40%. And Even TJX companies, which has Canadian international segments that they break out that account for about 25% of sales, uh, that company still reported an effective rate of 37.2%. So, you compare those rates that I just mentioned with the broad U.S. effective tax rate from the Congressional Budget Office, that came at just 18.6%. So, you can see the retailers are indeed um, paying higher rates and thus uh, in a position to to benefit from this new tax plan. So, with some of those broader details in mind, um, Adam, I know you wanted to focus on how different companies might take advantage of their cost savings specifically. What did you have in mind?
1: Yeah, so, I basically would group it into, there's two different categories here of of retailers that will do well. So, the first are um, retailers that have very high cash flow already relative um, to their market cap. And then the other um, would be retailers that um, have relatively high capital spending budgets. Uh, And so, we'll go through both of those um, in order. So, on the cash flow side, when you look at retailers that have um, low price-to-free cash flow ratios. Uh, Basically, the tax cuts made a lot of these stocks which were already pretty cheap even cheaper. Um, The typical benefit for a company that was paying a 37, 38, 39% effective tax rate previously, the benefit of moving to this new tax structure is probably worth about 20% uh, more earnings per share on an after-tax basis. So even if their pre-tax earnings stay exactly the same in 2018 compared to 2017, going to see really strong earnings growth. And so, a company that might have been um, trading for 10 times earnings before is now at something like eight times earnings. So, that makes um, these cheap stocks even cheaper. And to the extent that they haven't yet corrected, um, there's definitely some upside for investors there. Uh, And I would put a lot of department store companies into that category. On top of the sort of valuation aspect, companies with uh, high free cash flow are now going to have extra firepower because of the lower tax bill to pay more dividends, uh, to buy back more stock, or to reduce their debt. So, Kohl's is a really great example of this. Uh, as we talked about on our last show last month, uh, Kohl's uh, reported 6.9% comp sales growth during the holiday period, which was um, its strongest result in over a decade. Um, and so, it's already um, doing really well. It's got you know it's already making the investments that are necessary to transform the business. And so the extra cash that it's now going to bring in from paying a lower tax rate, um, there's not much that it should do with it other than start returning it to to shareholders. So I think you could see uh, either a a nice dividend increase this year or higher share buybacks or potentially both. Um,
0: And I I just wanted to quantify the potential windfall that Kohl's will enjoy. So assuming its effective tax rate falls from 37% uh, which was the latest I could find for the trailing 12 month period, to about 23%, that is an additional $144 million in earnings that can potentially flow to the bottom line. So it's pretty significant, as you mentioned, um, in terms of giving them th- that additional firepower to, for example, pay dividends or buy back stock. And if we categorize that um, as the more shareholder focused benefits of the new tax rate, um, I think there's also the other category that you mentioned in terms of the spending, the capital spending. And with the traditional brick and mortar retail space, there's a lot of trends that are kind of changing the sector, whether that's omnichannel, new store formats, experiential retail, among others. So, for the companies that end up putting the savings then back into their businesses and operations, what
1: does that potentially look like? So there's an extra benefit for um, companies that want to reinvest the tax uh, tax law savings. So uh, one of the interesting things in this tax law is that it implements a temporary cut um, in the cash tax rate for companies that are investing uh, in the business. So instead of having to depreciate investments over a period of, you know, could be five, 10, or even 20 years, uh, between now and 2022, companies will be allowed to expense 100% of their capital spending, um, which means that they can write it off all in the first year, um, and so that's an immediate tax deduction for them. So, that creates a lot of additional cash flow because uh, a company, you know, theoretically at least, a company that's reinvesting all of its cash flow could actually pay no taxes even if it's um, posting pretty high profits because it's getting all these write-offs from its capital spending. So. Uh, Among the retailers that uh, we've been looking at, none of them are investing quite that heavily, but there are definitely some that are putting more money into the business right now. So TJX, um, which is uh, the parent company that runs the popular TJ Maxx and Marshalls and home goods chains in the US, uh, that's definitely a company that's been um, spending at a pretty high rate to expand. Um, It's adding square footage about 5% a year in recent years. And so, it could potentially even speed up its expansion even more um, going forward. Just in the past few years, it started to test out some new uh, store formats for the United States to potentially give it even greater growth opportunities. So the the first one that came about was Sierra Trading Post, which was a mainly online off-price retailer that it acquired uh, a few years ago. And it started opening some uh, Sierra Trading Post retail stores those, um, it's learned a lot from that. It seems to be uh, figuring out how to make those work, and now it's started to ramp up that expansion. With the new tax law benefits, it's possible you'll see that um, expansion move even faster. And then a second area where it, it's experimenting is um, in the home uh, home market, because the home goods chain has been by far the most successful in terms of comp sales growth and, and total sales growth in recent years. So now, 2 is testing a second, um, home uh, item or home store format called HomeSense in the United States. And it sees that as a way to um, tap into some different segments of that home market and um, further expand its growth. And so the idea is that kind of like TJ Maxx and Marshalls have some overlap, but also some differences um, by offering two different home store concepts, uh, TJX could significantly expand its long-term growth potential. Um, So that's definitely, Those are two areas where you could definitely see TGX ramping up investment because of the benefits of this tax law. Sure. Um, And then aside from that, TGX will have more cash flow that it can return to shareholders. Uh, It's been raising its dividend at a pretty healthy rate in recent years, and it's also been buying back a lot of stock. And so I'd expect to see more of the same in 2018 and beyond. Okay. Uh, Another company uh, that. You pointed out uh, before the show too
0: that does have that has announced recently some pretty big plans to up their spending, try and claim more market share, uh, do some story modeling, things along those lines. Is Target um, how uh, how much of a beneficiary I guess do you think the company could be also from these these new rules that you've uh,
1: that we've talked about so far? Yeah, Target isn't growing uh, as quickly as TJX, but sure. it is uh, opening up some more small format stores um, in the United States. Uh, this is sort of its best way now to penetrate the markets that it hasn't been able to get into uh, up until now. But beyond that, it's just investing really heavily in remodeling stores. uh Uh, improving its technology and fulfillment so that it can capture a bigger um, share of online stores. Because really, if you look at the last maybe 10 years of Target, the company made two really, really big mistakes um, that have held it back from its full potential. Um, The first was it got kind of caught up in trying to expand it to Canada, and that was just a complete disaster. It had to um, write off billions of dollars when it pulled out. Um, and that also obviously diverted a lot of management attention. And the second one was years and years ago, it outsourced all of its e-commerce to Amazon, which just gave Amazon a huge amount of data, and uh, and meant that uh, Amazon could basically run Target's business to not compete very much with Amazon's online business. And so Target's re- you know taken control of its own e-commerce operations again, but it still has a long way to go to uh, to Im- improve its. Um, ability to serve that e-commerce market and try to uh, gain some market share there. Because right now, um, it's growing quickly, but still quite small compared to um, the total company. So, those are definitely areas where Target needs to invest. And so, the tax law is really convenient because it'll sort of reduce the pain from those investments by um, creating some offsetting tax breaks. Yeah. So, I'm looking at uh, Target's income statement right here. And
0: it's interesting, the tax savings, um, again, similarly... uh, with the reduced effective, ta- uh, with the reduced rate, um, for this company, the savings could come out to about half a billion dollars, and. If we keep in mind that this time last year, that was when management announced that they'd be uh, doing the big push on their investments, spending $7 billion to gain market share, to develop that e commerce platform, like you mentioned. So those investments, they said, would be spread out over three years. So that's about $2.3 billion per year. So if these recent tax savings come out to uh, over about half a billion dollars, they can make up. Almost a quarter of the annual spending that the company has planned, so pretty significant. Um, all right, our last part of their discussion then, um, I want to focus on one last company that could, I think, really change over the next few years, given some unique aspects of its asset base and then uh, the long term vision that management seems to be pursuing for the company. So, how do the cards fall then as a result of the
1: tax reform for Macy's? So, Macy's is definitely a unique case here, um, and it could be um, possibly the biggest beneficiary uh, in the retail sector from this uh, change in the tax law. So, similar to Kohl's, Macy's stock trades at a very low price to free cash flow ratio. And so, just um, in a scenario where nothing really major changes, you're going to have more cash flow, which Macy's can use to pay down debt, um, continue paying its really high dividend. Uh, It has um, one of the highest dividend yields out there right now. And it can also um, eventually, uh, maybe later in 2018, or if not, then in 2019, it could start buying back stock again. Um, In the past year or so, it's been focusing on, on paying down debt rather than trying to buy back stock. But outside of its core retail business, Macy's has also been starting to sell excess real estate. Um, and the idea is that Macy's, over its um, you know more than 100-year history, has built stores all over the country. And some of them are actually in extremely valuable locations. And uh, some of those stores, um, while they're profitable, they're not really making enough money to pay for the opportunity cost of um, what the real estate would be worth if it were to be sold. So sometimes that's because the Macy's stores in a really great mall where the, the mall owner wants to redevelop that Macy's store to put in luxury uh, stores or uh, restaurants or entertainment spaces that can generate higher rents. Um, in other cases, Macy's has these downtown stores and really hot real estate markets like New York, um, San Francisco, even Chicago um, might fit into that. The problem for Macy's is that when it sells these assets, you know, if it's built a store 50 years ago or even 100 years ago, it built that store at a much lower uh, cost than what the sale price would be. And so every time it sells one of these stores um, to uh, another investor, it has to uh, pay a pretty big um, tax bill uh, because of that asset sale gain. So with a high corporate tax rate where the the taxes might take out 40% of the sale price or close to that, uh, it definitely, would give Macy's pause as to whether it should um, sell the store or keep operating it, um, because obviously the longer you operate the store, um, you're just paying taxes sort of as you go, as opposed to paying a giant tax bill all at once. With this tax reform bill, now you've got a lower rate, and so that might encourage Macy's to start selling off properties at a faster rate, because um, now there's a lower tax penalty to doing that. And it's actually particularly good timing, because Macy's, as I mentioned, has been ramping up this strategy um, they have a strategic partnership with uh, Brookfield Asset Management, a um, huge um, firm in, in private equity and real estate management that is um, looking into several dozen uh, Macy's store sites and ways to either redevelop the store or to um, do additional real estate development on the parking lots or things like of that nature. And so that's definitely a a, a project that could lead to substantial proceeds for Macy's. Beyond that, it's looking into ways to uh, monetize the upper floors of its uh, humongous stores, both in Chicago and New York. And so as these um, projects eventually turn into deals that bring in cash for Macy's, now it's not going to be paying as much tax. And so it it may have an incentive to kind of speed up this movement. And that's pretty important because uh, most people who have analyzed this think that Macy's real estate is worth more than the entire company's valuation right now. So... Um, being able to sell off that real estate, bring in cash, pay down debt, um, and return cash to shareholders could be really pretty transformative for Macy's share price performance.
0: Absolutely. sounds really, um, if it comes down to it, this tax change um, becomes another incentive for the company to right-size its store footprint. Uh, Think of other uses for that valuable real estate. And just like a bunch of competitors have done recently with all the store closures that we've discussed in 2017 alone—you um, know—that's going to be a push, I think, from the industry overall. So, final comments from me: um, I wanted to mention a couple other potential benefits that we haven't covered yet today. So, first, there have also been some calls for companies to use their tax savings to increase wages and benefits for workers. So, in retail, Walmart announced raises to hourly pay in addition to one-time bonuses for its employees. Home Depot and Starbucks also uh, made pretty similar moves, and that is a trend I hope to see across the industry, because employee turnover for retail positions is notoriously high, and better pay for workers often leads to better service. So, the more companies experiment with things like e-commerce, in-store pickups, with stores as fulfillment centers, these various initiatives that have come up in the past few years, um, the more they will end up leaning on their employees to adapt and execute well so that these initiatives are successful. And if we look at Amazon as this industry's boogeyman, so to speak, um, I think A lot of companies can take a cue from Amazon considering how often it leads, for example, customer satisfaction surveys. So, With good service being closely tied with convenience, and then convenience often being the differentiating factor for a lot of consumers, uh, hopefully, Uh, investments in higher pay for workers, higher wages, that could prove to be a a worthwhile investment for a lot of companies in the sector. And then for consumers themselves, um, I've seen analysts generally agree that in the near term, U.S. families will see higher take-home pay thanks to the tax bill. Uh, consumer confidence is already really, really high, but you can bet that retailers are hoping to claim a chunk of that extra discretionary spending. So, where that spending ultimately goes, uh, whether that's to tangible goods that would benefit department stores, for example, or to experiences, whether that's to electronics like smartphones or to to clothing, we'll see. Um, But I wanted to leave a minute here for you, Adam. Any final thoughts on your end before we wrap?
1: Yeah, I would just echo the last thing that you said. It's going to be very interesting over the next um, six months to a year, I would say, to see how the um, individual component of the tax reform bill impacts uh, spending at a lot of these retailers. Uh, It's definitely been a pretty weak market um, recently for um, apparel retail, and so it's a question of whether, if people now have a little more discretionary income, do you see finally an, an uptick in, uh, in retail sales growth and who's going to capture most of that incremental revenue, because this retail sales model, um, it uh, the change in profit from a relatively small increase in sales growth is pretty significant. So, that could have a pretty big impact on one or more of these retailers, and we'll just have to see uh, how it works out. Alright, I'm sure we'll follow
0: up on that, Em. Um, thank you for joining us. And thanks yeah, for listening. Yeah, thanks for fools. Me on the show. Yeah, thanks for listening, fools. And Henry today is our woman behind the glass. People in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Fool on.